0: Uh seminary can be a very challenging place um, as you unpack and begin to learn. There's a, there's a part of seminary that kind of breaks down your faith, um, especially in terms of the Word of God, scriptures. They will challenge authorship. Uh, the, they'll uh, challenge the, the history they'll, they'll challenge uh, the supernatural aspects of scripture so it can be uh, sometimes really challenging I, I've known folks I had a friend who said I was leaving for seminary he said don't lose your faith in seminary it can be very challenging sometimes in a very unhealthy way I remember I was reading about, uh, I was reading this uh, scholar, this commentator, and he was talking and challenging the authorship of the Gospel of John. And he was arguing that John didn't really write the Gospel of John. And one of his main arguments was that how John or the author refers to himself in the Gospels. In fact, there's five times that he says um, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he refers to himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And the scholar was arguing that no one would ever refer to themselves in that way, especially to men. And my first thought was, That is the dumbest argument I have ever heard in my life. What? That's not scholarship. That's opinion. And that's poor opinion. I I thought I was struck by how the scholar, in my opinion, was missing the beauty of that phrase. I was thinking about how John, I believe John authored the Gospel of John and the epistles. And I was thinking about how he could have referred to himself as any, he could have just said John, he could have, you know, in the third person, he could have referred to himself in any way and yet he chose this one way as if he were to say, I guess the most important thing for people to understand is that Jesus loved me. Jesus loved me. That, more than anything else, that is so crucial. And, and I've always been touched by, by that idea, that sentiment, that, that John, he said, this is what I know. The one thing I know is that Jesus loves me. You know, the blindness of the, of the scholar, I think, points us to an interesting thing that I would say there is a blindness within the church and within Christians. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a book, and he talks about the four loves. And he says uh, there's four loves that are basic to every human being. He says eros, romance, charity, Affection and friendship, and he argues that these loves are are basic to every one of us, and yet the gospel should transform. Each of those loves and how we experience those loves in in each of the relationship. And what he says, furthermore, is that we talk so much about romance and marriage, right? That's what we write books about is the romance. That's our movies. We go, we we sing the songs, we hear the songs. It's our favorite love songs. So marriage and romance and eros, all of that is all over, which is good. We should talk about that. In the church, we talk about marriages. But it can be argued, and I think it's true, that friendship is often devalued and, and, and is undersold that in fact, biblically, we should understand the gospel, yes, transforms marriage, yes, transforms romantic love, but we do not talk about, we don't emphasize, we don't enter into friendship, the love of friendship, friendship between two men, two women, friendship within a marriage, between friends, man and woman, uh, dad and son, dad and daughter, mother and daughter. The, the friendships that, that, that is there, that the gospel is meant to transform friendships. And so how do we live friendships in such a way that reflect the love of Christ. How do we live, you could could say, sacred friendships versus secular friendships. This series, we're going to look at how the gospel transforms friendships. And I believe that we're all called to sacred friendships, whether we're single whether we're married, whether we are moms or dads, it doesn't matter what station in life that we are, we are called to have sacred friendships. And I'm, I'm pretty excited because we're going to look at the different relationships and friendships that people had. And we're going to study those in scripture and look for the qualities and say, what does that sacred friendship look like? Why was that sacred as opposed to to worldly friendship? I wanted to say a disclaimer. I have been thinking and praying and reading about sacred friendships for a couple years now. And this is one of the series that I would love to preach to you from a better place of being a better sacred friend. And the more I press into this, the more I realize how selfish I am in my friendships right that that it's not an easy it, it's going to take the work of God to really transform friendships, and I really wish I could preach to you from a a place of better more wins, I guess we could say and, uh wins, but I do I would say that I've been incredibly blessed by sacred friends that have loved me well some of You are in this room that I would consider sacred friends in that way. And, And so I'm excited. What would our community look like if each and every one of us was seeking to grow and learn how to become sacred friends. Yes, in our marriage, I think we can grow in being sacred friends in our our marriages, in our relationship with our kids, there's friendship that is there. But what would our community look like if we said, hey, this is a value. We're gonna press in. We wanna be sacred friends and love one another really well that looks different And how the world's friendships look like. Do you think that would be pretty neat? That'd be really neat. So let's dig in. Uh, John 13, we are going to look at actually the first instance where John refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Um, And I was fascinated why he chose to use this phrase in this moment for the first time. In fact, in John, Jesus just washes the disciples' feet. So this, you could say this expression of sacred friendship from Jesus to the apostles. But then Jesus enters or uh, introduces this idea that you could say is definitely not a quality of sacred friendship. He talks about betrayal. And right in this intimate moment, he says, one of you will betray me. And it was in this moment that John uses this phrase towards himself. We're gonna uh, pick up the story in John chapter 13, verse 21. Jesus talks about his betrayal. It says in verse 21, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. I really like the New King James translation way better. It says that um, one of them, the the disciple whom Jesus loved, was leaning on Jesus' bosom. So the, the language there is very, very intimate. It says, um, Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Can you imagine Peter kind of, <laughs> right? You're, you're against his chest, right? <clears throat> 25, leaning back against Jesus, or again, the new King James, leaning back against his breast, he asked him, Lord, Who is it? I just get touched by the intimacy in that moment. Jesus answered, it is the one whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread... Satan entered into him. I've preached that passage before, but as you can imagine, I focus more on Judas and and the betrayal that was there and, and the pain. And I guess I've missed this intimacy between John and Jesus. Because of the language of this story, there's been a number of portraits. I think we, we pulled, we have a few of the portraits um, there. You can see that um, because of, of that, John is leaning against Jesus. There's a few of them where they have John right in his chest, right? Right there. When I used to look at those portraits, I know I have to grow as a sacred friend because I would always wonder if Jesus would have been like, John, can we talk about personal space here? I'm trying to tell ta- That would have been probably my response there. But, but Jesus, you, you see this, this intimacy there. Why was John the one that leaned, was next to Jesus? Maybe he, that, he just wanted to be near him. Why, what did he feel in the relationship with Jesus that he would lean against his chest in that way? Why would, why would John, we're beginning to understand why he would refer to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And, and I don't see any pride or arrogance in that phrase, right? It's not like, well, he didn't love others. He really. But it was just that for John, the, the intimacy there. John was the only apostle that was at the cross as Jesus was struggling. John was the the one, even though Jesus' brothers, biological brothers, were living at the time in his death at the moment of the cross, he gave his mother Mary to be watched over and cared for by the apostle John. I think Jesus is our ultimate example to us of sacred friendships. That he lived his life in such a way. In fact, it is interesting that we talk so much about marriage but rarely bring up that Jesus was never married, right? But he did relationships perfectly. He, he brought this love of God. And you could argue in all three of his, so he had, I would say all of, at least the apostles were sacred friends, um, minus Judas, or maybe we would say Judas was, but betrayed him in that. So the apostles were sacred friends to Jesus. He was a sacred friend. He shared life with them. But then he had the three, right, Uh, Peter, James, and John that he particularly spent time with and particularly revealed. And then I would argue some of the women like Mary Magdalene that Jesus modeled sacred friendship with others. And you can, you you know, church histories histories have tried to mix that up and, and ascribe unhealthy things between Jesus and Mary Magdalene. No evidence. I think, again, missing the idea of sacred friendships is a part of the gospel, is part of what God wants to do in us and through us, these relationships in the kingdom of God. It's funny that church history tells us that the apostle John was the last apostle Um, He uh, living, and he was known as the apostle of, does anyone know? Love. Towards the very end of his life, he was just saying, love one another. If you get one thing right, love one another. I have to believe it flowed from his relationship, his sacred friendship with Jesus. He would go on to write, epistles and from 1st John he his epistles are filled with guess what theme love one another he defines love 1st John 4:10 he says this this is love not that we loved god but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins i would say friends that if we are going to talk about sacred friendships we have to begin with a discussion about divine love i believe there's many other attributes that we're going to talk about for sacred friendships But we have to, the the center, I would say, is divine love. Just as uh, John is saying, uh, the love of God is central in our relationships with one another. You and I, if we're going to be people of sacred friendship, we have to fall in sacred love with Jesus first and foremost. I don't think there's any other pathway to sacred friendships. We have to fall in love with Christ and then allow that love that we experience with him to flow to one another and not just our biological family. Not just our kids, not just our our spouses and in marriage, but that love needs to flow from that experience of Christ. Listen to when um, Jesus says this in John 15 a little bit later. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Do you see the flow, right? Don't love each other as the world loves that's not where you get your cues don't even love well like how your parents loved you there can be some good things in that but here's the deal here's where I want you to take your cues as you have experienced the love of God the divine love how the Father has loved you and I that's how you are to love one another and that's the best testimony to this broken world is if we allow the flow. Greater love has no one than this. He laid down his life for his friends. That's how he loved you. Now, love others like that. Paul, listen to how Paul describes Jesus in Titus 3 4 and 5. He says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Do you realize he's referring to to Jesus in that moment? He's saying, Jesus, he was the goodness of God. Jesus, he was the loving kindness of God. He was the expression of loving kindness to you and me. And what Paul was saying is that he's experienced that. And as you experience the goodness of God, the loving kindness of God, let that transform every aspect of your life, including friendships. I don't know if you've ever had an experience or met a person, or there's been an event in your life that you've said, well, that changes everything. This is what Christ had done for John. This is what Christ has done for Paul. This is what the testimony that Christ does with Christians through the ages, people through the ages, is they experience the loving kindness of Christ and it changes everything. Every relationship, purpose, meaning in life, I wanted to ask us a few application questions as we wrestle through this. In our secular relationships, our non-Christians, do they have love in their relationships? Yeah, I mean, I would say yes. Um, um, Whether they've experienced the love of God or not, there is, when Jesus was talking about loving enemies, he said this, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that, right? Yeah, there's love there, but he's saying, I want your love to look different. I want your love to be sacred. I want your love to look uh, categorically in a different category. I'll say it that way than the love we see in the world. It should be a flow from the divine love of God that you've experienced. So I, I guess the, the foundational question is, are, are you allowing love of others in your friendships? Would you think about your friendships? Does your love for your friends, male or female, son, spouse, daughter, um, mother-in-laws, Jesus would include enemies. Does your love for others reflect the love of God in your life? You can see why I was saying I wish I had better wins in in this category. Not only do we need to fall into divine love with Jesus again and again and again and allow that to flow, but I also say we need to actively grow in sacred love. And, And here's how I'm trying my hardest to grow and it's very very challenging is that i would say we need to move sacred love moves us from self-centered love to other-centered love think about think about it this way when we're babies right we all babies have love for mom and dad, most of the them, right? But what is that love rooted in? What we get from mom and dad, right? We, we get food and we get affection and we get protection and guidance and all of those kind of things. We're responding to their, their kindness and, and so it's really that loving relationship is what we get out of that relationship. Maturity, Christian maturity in part is that we're learning to love one another's not just based on what we get out of that relationship. But we're learning to love others with that other centered perspective instead of self centered other perspective. I'm always moved when I see in one part of the person in a relationship. Um, whether it is a a married couple or a a parent to a child, when one of those uh, partners is greatly diminished uh, in their capacity, physically, uh, emotionally. We have folks in this congregation that are in that situation. And when I see that one person who's not diminished... Continues to love on that individual. That that, that it's not about them. It's not about the, the, I've known where spouses have left a marriage because of the diminished capacity of the other. Weep for that. But I've seen this, what I would call, it's a picture of divine love. When someone is loving, is committed, is sacrificing, it's not about them. It's not about what they're getting out of that relationship. It's about loving because they've experienced love from the God and they're allowing it to flow on the other person. I was thinking about the the famous passage, 1 Corinthians 13, right? When was the last time that you went to a wedding? Good chance that was read there, right? What is love? And you read that. Guess what? Paul wasn't thinking about marriage when he shared 1 Corinthians 13. He was thinking about the community of faith. He was thinking about brothers and sisters in Christ. He was thinking about fellowship there. So I wanted to read this and listen, but not in the context, try your best not to go to a marriage context. Listen in terms of a friendship context and apply this not in, boy, how, do I, how am I a better husband or wife? Uh, but apply this in your friendship. And Paul is saying, this is divine love. This is true love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. See how he's getting us to sacred love as opposed to secular love. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. He's saying love wins. The divine love of God wins out, conquers all. Another way to say that. It, is that when we experience divine love, when we're expressing divine love, we're simply for that person. I was thinking of uh, the question of of the the moments that have changed my life dramatically. Of course, when I came to Christ, one when I experienced uh, the kingdom of God and, and began to realize the kingdom of God, also was the birth of my children. My soul was unprepared for what I experienced at the birth of my kids. Um, Well, the second was I was a little bit more prepared. But that first, when when Luke was born, he came out and I'm not exaggerating. This is my first thought. Okay, if I need to be hit by a truck, to protect this little guy, I'm in God, right? My my life became less important to me, right? I, I became less less self centered in that very moment, right? He he hadn't done anything. I didn't know him at all. <laughs> he just was born. I'm like I wh- uh, ah, I am for him. No matter, I I will do what I can to. Protect him and raise him and give him. i just for him. It's funny, in in this loss, in this really difficult time, I was processing some with Luke and the loss of his mom, and he asked me this really interesting question. He said, Dad, did you experience the loss of your mom differently than the loss of your dad? I said, yeah, I, I guess I never really thought about it that way, but the answer is, is yes. Um, I, I lost my dad earlier, and I still to this day miss his wisdom, his voice in my life. So He was a counselor, and, he, and would coach me through a lot of things. My mom, when I lost her, I had the distinct feeling of being an orphan, like she was the person who was for me. No matter what I did, she was, she was for me. She was, even if I, if I was in a disagreement or I was struggling and I had a hunch that I was wrong, I could go to my mom and she would always tell me I was right. Don't we need someone like that in our life, right? Just, you know, and I knew that she was wrong, but I was, thanks, mom, you're right, thank you, <laughs> right? That she, she was for me. Yeah, whatever I did, she was for me. I was processing with Cambria a while ago, and she was... She was, I guess you could say, testing the bounds of my love, like, Dad, if if I did this, would you still love me? Would you do, if I did this, would you still love me? And finally, I said, listen, sweetie, if you become an axe murderer in life, I'm still going to love you. I'm your dad. I, I'm, I'm for you. I'm not going to defend your ax murdering ways. right? I'm not going to say that's okay, but I'm going to visit you in prison. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about Jesus still has a hope for you and forgiveness and restoration. I'm for you. It doesn't matter what you do. I'm not going to condone stuff like that, but I'm for you. We need people in our lives like that. I think that is a picture of divine love, right? The the love of a mother, the love of a father is that picture. And friends, I think when we look at friendship in the world, when our friends do something that hurts... We let him go. We cut them loose. And we say, yeah, I'm done. That's not how God loves us, right? In fact, we, he knows intimately all our mistakes. Does he not? Yeah? And he says, I'm for you. Eric, even if you're an axe murderer, I'm for you. I'm going to forgive you. I love you and restore you. I'm there for you. Would it be amazing if our love in friendship looked a little bit more like that parental love, that that divine love that we, we stuck in it and we didn't we didn't condone. Sin, of course not. We didn't do that. But like God, we forgave. We restore. We love well. A- application question. Again, these are hard questions. <laughs> hard questions for me to ask and... Is your love still about what you receive from your relationships rather than what you give? Again, disclaimer. I don't want you to think I'm hypocritical in any way. I, this was a struggle for me. Most of the, the friendships that I have, I realize I'm in it for what I'm receiving rather than reflecting the love that God has for me. The Lord wants us to fall in sacred love with him again and again. He wants us to grow in this sacred love, making it more about the other person, the love of God for the other person, rather than what we receive from the relationships also I think he has planned for us to flourish in loving friendships. That that's his longing for all, especially the communities of faith, especially the church, that we would flourish in sacred love. I was thinking about how God loves us And how he continues to to pour out mercy and kindness and forgiveness and gentleness. He, He does that again and again. Those attributes of God are flowing from the throne room of God. And yet here's this amazing thing. He gives us choice. He gives us the ability to receive all that is flowing from his throne or not. He gives us the ability to turn away from his love, his mercy, his grace, and forgiveness. He gives, he provides, it flows, but he does not force it. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman in that way. Yes He's gentle in that way Yes Jesus is humble in that way Jesus gives invitation But he does not force And he's very patient And so I wrote this final point like this Flourishing in sacred love Is that we go from control We try and control our friendships and relationships. And we go to loving kindness, patience, gentleness, grace-filled. Some of you have heard me talk about my favorite Hebrew word. If I had to struggle through classes of Hebrew for just this word, I guess it was worth it. The Hebrew word is chesed. Scholars call it a grace word. It's not really the equivalent in Greek or in English. But it it really means all of these things. Sometimes it's it's, um, uh, defined as simply grace or great love or tender mercies or loving kindness. That, that word has all of those attributes. In fact, it's, it, it talks about who God is. He's full of chesed. It's flowing his tender mercies, his grace all flowing to us. The apostle Paul in Greek uses these different Greek words in a single sentence. But the interesting thing is he's not talking about God. In this sentence, he's talking about our relationships with one another. And he says this. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, brothers and sisters, community, fellowship, put on, or NIV says, clothe yourself. Here's the attributes that you want to clothe yourself. In relationship with one another, clothe yourself with tender mercies, with kindness, with humility, meekness, long-suffering, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. He's saying all these attributes of who God is. His tender mercies, how you've experienced him. His grace, his love, his kindness, all of that. You should be clothing yourself with that in your relationship with others. application question. If you had a closet with different shirts in it, and these shirts, each of the shirts, you had a few shirts, you had one shirt that said tender mercies, one shirt that said kindness, another that said humility and meekness and long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiveness. If you were to look in that closet, what's the shirt that you felt is outdated and you have not worn for a long time? Right? Ooh, that looks like from the 80s, right? So, Yeah, that, I just don't like that. That humility thing, that's not, no, that doesn't, that clashes with my... What would be the attribute if you thought again about your friendships? What's that shirt that the Spirit is saying, boy, this is how God has loved you, but you have not put that on for a really long time? That, uh, boy, that, that friend you used to have. You haven't forgiven them yet. That's not how Christ loved you. That uh, that, that kindness, that kindness. When was the last time to a friend you were just kind to them? Not because they deserved it but simply because of the kindness you experience in your relationship with Christ. Friends, when we start to put those divine clothes, those divine attributes, when we begin to love one another differently than what the world does, then we begin to flourish in sacred friendships and we begin to live in the kingdom of God perfect timing Josh let's pray would you just take a moment between you and the Lord I love that we get to do communion That we get to come to the table and experience again his loving kindness. Even though we may have struggled with things in our relationships just recently, this, this weekend, that we've done the opposite of some of those attributes, we get to come to the table and lay that before Christ and receive his forgiveness. Would you just give a moment for the Holy Spirit to speak? What do you need forgiveness for in relationship? Think of the opposite of some of those. Some of us have been a little bit prideful and judgmental in our relationships. We need to put on humility, meekness. Some of us have been harsh. People that we love. We need to put on kindness and gentleness. We've experienced the mercies, the tender mercies of Jesus. but we have not been merciful. We've not been grace-filled. Friends, we get to go through divine exchange. We get to give him our brokenness and ask for the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives.